pray, so grow. That's what this is about. You know, we're, we're coming to the conclusion of our pray, so grow devotional. But even though you might be finishing the book, it's important that you continue sowing kingdom seeds. Now, some of you have told me you liked it, you finished it, but you're going back and uh, through the devotional again, which is great. Now, you know, I wrote the book to help you see the importance of sowing kingdom seeds, to help you watch for kingdom opportunities, and to help you realize how easy it is to sow once you get started. As you have, as you have sown, I hope you have discovered how much people appreciate good news. Now, you and I both know every day we are bombarded with bad news. Inflation's out of control, gas prices are rising higher and higher, war is a reality, corruption is in the highest levels of government. It's no wonder people are in despair and depressed. They certainly do not hear good news in uh, a corrupt media which enters their homes, cars, AirPods, everywhere else they find the news. It is almost as if there's a concerted effort to keep people feeling down and helpless. And I'm, but even in the midst of all that, I'm sure there are people like you and I doing something good every day. But we just seldom hear about it. I wonder why that is. Instead, the going narrative is not what is good but bad. The mindset is that if it's, that if it's good, it doesn't sell. If it's bad, it sells. And the badder, the better. But you and I, in the middle of all this, we have great news, don't we? Great news, great things to talk about. We have Jesus, and He is the best news of all. And i got to tell you, sometimes what I hear coming through, I'm bombarded with information that's bad. Sometimes I just, you know what I have to do? I have to turn it off. I just have to cut it out so that I can focus on something better, something much better. I'm not saying we shouldn't stay informed. We absolutely need to stay informed. But we don't need to stay informed 24 hours a day, do we? I mean, let's catch some headlines. Let's watch some. But then when it starts to bog you down, turn it off. And don't spend more time watching the news than you do listening to God, you see. Because He's got good news for you. The Lord Jesus. Here's the good news. The Lord Jesus can change any life. He'll help and deliver anyone. Christ Jesus can transform a life and a world. And that's good news. And the great news is that Jesus, the King, our King, is coming again. And when He brings His kingdom to earth, everything will be different. And that's why we must keep sowing, because the kingdom is coming. Jesus said in Matthew 24, Read this with me. I love it. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. Now let me ask you a question. Did Jesus say when or did Jesus say if? Did He say if the Son of Man comes? Or did He say when the Son of Man comes? Yeah, it's not if. He is coming. When He comes. I know it's been a long time since Jesus spoke these words. But folks, these words are as true today as they ever were. The King of Kings is returning, and with Him, 
His kingdom. Until that kingdom comes, we need to keep praying, sowing, and growing. Amen? And growing in this world so that this so that the Lord can bring, can use us to bring as many people into His kingdom as possible. And that's why He's called us today to sow kingdom seeds, because the day is coming when all the preparations for His kingdom return will be completed, and our earthly work will be finished. When our earthly work is over, when we've sown all the kingdom seeds we can sow, that's when our faithfulness, to Christ will be rewarded with the kingdom. And that's what we're going to look at today in Matthew 20. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 20. As we honor God's Word, if you're willing and able, please stand as I read this passage with you. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like. And here we have another one of Jesus' kingdom parables showing us some truths about His kingdom in ordinary events that take place. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, let me just stop there. Some people might have in your Bible a penny a day. This is a daily wage. The denarius was a daily wage. Okay, so when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. And again he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing idle here all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when? So how was how he going to pay? Who was he going to pay first? The last. Those that he got at the end of the day. He's going to pay them first, the last, to the first. That's important, remember that. And so he said, uh, when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, the last, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as it is to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil? And that little expression means to look at. Have you ever seen that? Somebody look at somebody with a piercing glance. An angry glance. That's what it, that little phrase meant. Is your eye evil? Are you looking at me evil with you know, an evil stare, a glare? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, 
for your word. We've sung about it. We've sung about what we believe. We've sung about how when our mind is set upon you, we have a a deep peace, Lord, an inner peace. The world doesn't know anything about this. Lord, if the whole world were destroyed and we have Jesus, we can still have that peace. God, this wicked world, dark world, filled with confused, angry people, Lord, they need to hear about your great love and sacrifice for them. They need to hear about the hope that they can have in Jesus. And I pray that we in this place, though we're not very many in number, God, we could go out from here and we could, with your Holy Spirit, empowered by you, carrying the Word of God, we could change the world. We could set it on fire with the gospel if we would just get a passion to keep sowing. Lord, I pray, please help us keep sowing. Help no one in this room, Lord, lay down on the job, but keep sowing because the world needs it. We need to sow till Jesus comes. Lord, thank you for what we're going to learn. Would your Holy Spirit speak to every one of us? Help us be hearers today and doers of what you tell us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Pray so grow. We're going to talk about kingdom reward. Now, there's there have been various about rewards in heaven. I'm going to deal with this a little bit today. Some believe that in the end or at some point we are going to all believers stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord Jesus is going to give some people rewards and He's going to withhold rewards from other people. So some will have, some will have rewards, some won't. Some believe that some will have a truckload of rewards to carry into the kingdom, and some will enter it empty-handed. I believe this passage sheds some light on that teaching, and may I say that throughout my journey of faith and in the Word, I've had varying opinions about this, but I think I've settled upon it when I opened my heart and mind to what God would say in His Word. So let's think about it, friends. Let's look at this passage and let the Holy Spirit teach us something. First of all, I want, when I look at this passage, I see the kingdom requirement. Look at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. The scene is harvest time. When farmers hired seasonal workers together in their crops from the field. Now we live in a part of the world where we also have growth and different plants and strawberries and blueberries and all kinds of things that happen and and a lot of crops and we have that as we move out of the city here and go into the rural areas a lot of corn a lot of crops and in at harvest time they hire workers to come in and to harvest the crop because it's ready it's ready and in this passage The farmer who does the hiring is actually the wealthy landowner. And his field is a vineyard. Now, and vineyards were common all over Israel. In this passage of Scripture, it's easy for us to see that the landowner, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like, so it's easy for us to see the landowner represents the owner of all lands. And who is that? God or the Lord Jesus. 
the creator of all things. Listen to what Paul said about Jesus. Colossians 1, 16, 17. For by Him, capital H, that's Jesus, were all, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth. Now think about this. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all these things. He existed before all these things. And in Him all things, or by Him, all things consist in Him, in His power, in, in His power. Now, that covers everything, folks. <laughs> everything we can see and everything we cannot see. Christ is the power that holds it all together. Physicists say that there is a force that holds atoms together. It's an unknown force. Uh, but we know the name of that force. It's Jesus, you see. Messiah Jesus is the one from whom this visible world, this universe and all its stars and planets, all the life that there is, He is the source of that life and that creation. He's the creator of the physical realm. He's the one who created heaven and angels. Invisible, Paul said, invisible things. And everything in the spiritual realm. King Jesus is the owner of all land, of all things, and he has a kingdom harvest coming. A harvest of souls, bringing souls into his kingdom. Harvest means everything to Jesus. And he gave up his heavenly glory and his earthly body to prove it. He was the first who became last, so that we who are last could become first in his heart and in his kingdom plan. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this that a man would lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus was talking about himself. He wasn't talking about police officers or soldiers. I know we like to think about that, but that's not what this was about. Jesus said, there's been no greater love than the love that I have because I'm laying down my life. And he said something else in that passage. He's calling you friends. He called his disciples. That was the context. He said to his disciples, I've not called you this before, but now I'm calling you friends because when I, what I'm going to do on the cross when I die here is I'm going to bring you into a new relationship with me and my Father. So Jesus was talking about how he was going to lay down his life for us. God's greatest gift of all to the world was Jesus. There's never been or never will be a greater love than the love of Jesus. And more than anything, He wants every person to be part of His kingdom. Listen, when He died on that cross, He could easily have come down. Those nails couldn't hold Him there. He was the creator of the world. All He had to do is just say, I've had it. That's enough. He'd just come right down from there. He'd have pulled, He could have said, this world is not worthy of me. World, you're destroyed. It would have just all disintegrated, the whole thing. He could have destroyed it as easily as He created it. He could have, but He hung on the cross because He loved you. That's why I tell people His arms were stretched out. He was saying, I love you. No greater love than the love of Jesus. He wants everyone 
to know His love. He wants everyone to receive His love. That's why He has sent you and I into this world with His gospel. The good news to sow kingdom seeds on all ground, everywhere, knowing that some seeds will take root and grow and become part of the kingdom harvest. Don't you know that it breaks the heart of God to see so many people in this world lost without Christ or any desire for His kingdom? It breaks God's heart. It used to be that people were afraid about dying and spending eternity in hell. They used to be afraid of that. But Satan has blinded so many people today that they think nothing about heaven and hell. They don't want to think about it. That's why they don't go to church anymore. You understand? Too many other things that are more important than that. Still, even though people may ignore it, even though they may not see it as important, the King is coming and there's going to be a harvest time. And the servants of Jesus will enter the kingdom and unbelievers will be excluded and eternally punished. That's the fact. Now in Matthew 20, we see the field is the vineyard. Vineyards were commonplace in ancient Israel, as I said, with vines and branches and grapes. There was life in the vineyard. Jesus compared a vineyard to the relationship He has with all who receive Him by faith. In John 15, 1. Let's read that together. Ready? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears what? Much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. The vineyard with its vines and branches represent Christ and his disciples. When we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, his own life through his Holy Spirit comes to live within us. His life is the life of the vineyard, of the kingdom. And everyone who enters the kingdom enters it with His eternal life. There's no other way to get in. This parable is not about entering the kingdom through working. It's about workers obeying the, the owner and going into the field for Him at harvest time. It's about you and I Hearing the call of Christ to sow the seeds that will spring into eternal life so that a lost person is saved and becomes part of the kingdom harvest. That's it. That's what this is about. The workers in the vineyard are the disciples of Christ who sow in the field. It's you and I and every person who is following Christ or ever has followed Christ. That's who we are the workers. Now, the landowner is Christ. The workers here are people He has called. He's called to go into His field. And the harvest, the time is the harvest time. And the one difference here is the time. It's the hours. The hours are different in this passage. One owner one field, see, workers are, he, are, are those he's called, all one calling. He says, go to my field. But the hours are different. The hours are the years that the world has seen since Jesus first appeared to offer himself as the Lamb of God and call men to follow him and take his gospel to the world. It is the Christian era. 
from the moment Jesus called his first workers or disciples until the moment he calls his last at the end of the age. All these workers are people like Peter, James, and John, all the way down to you and I in present day. And those who follow us, if Jesus does not come in our lifetime, they'll be workers. Now, throughout the centuries, since Jesus left us with a great commission, millions of faithful workers have heard His call, You go into my vineyard. Look at verses 2 through 7. Now, when the landowner had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever's right, I will give you. So they went, and again he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. Now the Jewish day was twelve hours. Let's get a picture here. Twelve hours. Beginning at 6 a.m., and which was the first hour, and ending at 6 p.m. Let's divide the day up now. Okay, this is the work day. 6 a.m., that's what hour? Which would you call it? First hour. What would, the, what would 9 a.m. be? Third hour. What would 12 noon be? Sixth hour. Are you with me? All right. And then when would the 11th hour be? That would be 5 o'clock. Okay? So it's divided into those hours, each hour. So first hour, second hour, third hour, to the 11th hour, and then the 12th hour. The day ended at 6 p.m. So in this parable, some workers, the very first workers who went out early in the morning at 6 a.m., and they stopped at the end of the day, which was what? 6 p.m. How many hours did they work? 12 hours. You see, they worked 12 hours, okay? But what about the last workers that were hired at the 11th hour, which is 5 p.m., and they quit at 6 p.m.? How many hours did they work? One. Again, in spiritual terms, this represents the time between Christ's first advent and His second advent, between His first appearing and His last of his, his second appearing so it's all these years and how many years has it been about two thousand years and those workers at the first hour were people like peter james john matthew all of those workers and then the ones who heard them and and people like luke and and you know people like mark and people like paul and so that's, those are the fir- that's in the first hour, you see. And then it went on down through the ages. The kingdom message of Christ was preached in every hour until we get to our hour. Which one are we in, folks? What do you think? Out of those 12 hours, and 12 means He's here. 11. Doesn't that seem likely to you? That this world cannot get much worse than this before Jesus comes? 
I mean, I can't think of how it could, can you? I mean, how could it get worse? I believe we're in the 11th hour. And Jesus could come any moment. We might be <laughs> in the last minute of the 11th hour. Harvest is coming. The King is coming. Jesus is coming. Do you believe that? Amen? And we're close. We're very close. And this represents all the years for 2,000 years. And for us, in our modern day, it's only been, in our lifetime, it's only been less than a century. Nobody's over 100 here today. Less than a century. I've been a Christian for about 53 years. Some of you have been a Christian for maybe a, a year or a little more. Some of you have been sharing Christ for many years. Others of you may just have started with your Pray So Grows devotional. The point is that we today are building, in this, these last days, we're building upon the work of faithful servants of God who came before us. We are the fruit of their labors, just as some today who are walking around are the fruit of our labors. You don't know? <clears throat> your seed that you planted this past week, you may have planted a seed in somebody's life, and that made them want to know more. And someone else led them to Jesus. And your seed, the seed you planted in them, a kingdom seed, you started growing until they accepted Jesus. And they're the fruit of your labor. You see, it's how God works. As in the kingdom parable, everyone in the field is working for the same thing, the harvest. Every believer who's ever been born is working toward that one end, the harvest, when the Lord Jesus returns with His kingdom. Different workers, different hours, but the same field and the same work to get ready for the harvest. Now, we get the field ready for harvest by sowing kingdom seeds. The gospel that can transform lives and destinations. <clears throat> the gospel message, the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day to give us eternal life. That's our message. Those are the kingdom seeds. The good news of the kingdom is that whosoever will believe in Jesus and receive Him as Savior and Lord will have eternal life in His kingdom. This is the news the world needs to hear from us. This is how the kingdom grows through us. Remember, pray, so grow. When the Lord Jesus sends us and uses us to sow the gospel seeds in His, in his world, the, there is nothing else that can get people into the kingdom of God than the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. Only the life of Jesus can get us into His kingdom. Only Jesus can give life to us, and only He can give life to those through us, through our kingdom seeds that will get them into His eternal kingdom. And that's the news that the world needs to hear from us. That's how the kingdom grows through us. When the Lord Jesus sends us and uses us to sow gospel seeds in His world. There's nothing else that can get people into the kingdom of God than the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. All life flows from Him. All life in the vineyard, all life in the kingdom, flows from Jesus. Just as the landowner sent workers into the field, so our Lord has sent us, filled with His life, into His field to produce fruit for Him. In this kingdom day, His life flows through us 
so that we can sow seeds into the lives of others. As we take the life of Christ into the world around us and we show the world the power of His life and we tell the world how to receive that life, when they receive it, they too become seed bearers. That's the miracle of the kingdom, folks. That seeds are found in those who sow the seeds of eternal life. As we share Jesus and people receive Him and are saved, His life enters them and His kingdom seeds enter them and they become alive in them and they can produce kingdom fruit. And once we have sown the seeds of the kingdom, and once they have received those seeds, and once they have received Christ, then every Christian we see and know, every encounter we have, you know what our job is? Help them grow. Pray, sow. What's the last thing? Grow. And that's, that's where we are, many of us. Because just like I told you with the lady I met at Hobby Lobby, that nice lady, when you meet a Christian who responds with a God bless you or has some kingdom seed to sow, encourage them. Encourage them, folks. Don't you know we need encouragement today? Where do you get encouragement? Some of you may be sitting here and you say, Pastor Donnie, this is the only time I ever get encouragement in my week because I go to the, I go to the place where I work and there's nothing but cursing and foul language and talking about running around with your on your wife or husband, there's terrible things going on all around. I, I am bombarded with evil. I have to take and try to isolate myself and read a devotion or a Bible. I have to do something to get away from it at lunch or something. He, I just can't hardly stand it. It's so terrible. You don't get much, much encouragement out there, do you? So Christians need to encourage one another. Amen? To grow. To grow. So when you're looking for opportunities to sow kingdom seeds, remember to sow them in the lives of people who already know Jesus to help them grow. Jesus said, John 15, 8, read this with me. By this my Father is glorified that you bear what? Much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Pray, so grow. That's the plan. We sow that others can grow. As we sow, we grow. And then when we receive Christ, we encourage them to sow. And when they sow, they grow. And when we sow and they grow, guess what grows? The kingdom grows. And that's how the kingdom has grown for thousands of years. Again, in this passage, Jesus, the owner of all things, called the first workers, the first believers, to sow in his vineyard or field. Jesus called the first kingdom workers. They went and sowed, sowed, and those first Christians, let me tell you, when they sowed, they gave up everything. Everything for the sake of growing the kingdom. Just imagine what they gave up. They gave up everything. 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 There was nothing they held back. I mean, they were killed for their faith. The Lord continued to call others down through the ages, generation after generation of Christians, went into his field and sowed the gospel. So what happened? After thousands of years, millions of people came to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And now we come to our, to our time. Our hour. And what, time, what hour is it? Probably, what, 11th hour? And after all these thousands of years of kingdom seeds being, being sown, after all these thousands of years, 
Why is the world so dark? Why is it so wicked? Why is the light and the news of Jesus not just be? Why is it not just everywhere? Why is there not worship out in the world like there is that we had here in this church today? Why? What's happened? I'll tell you what I think's happened. I want you to look at chapter 20, and I look at it. I want, you to count, I want you to look at a little word that is found several times here. When the, when the owner went out to hire workers, he, find, he found them in this particular condition. They were idle. Did you notice that? They were in the marketplace around a whole lot of people, and they were idle. They were not working. I'm afraid that the reason this world has denigrated into what it has become today is because the church believers over the last century have become idle. We've become complacent. If you ask people today, you know, I listen, I get it. I'm so glad we have live stream. I am, I really am. And that live stream helps people. <clears throat> that live stream helps people because some people cannot get out of their house. And some people are, are traveling and such as that. But there's some people who will not come to worship in a place like this because they are idle. You see? And there are people all over the world who call themselves Christians, but they won't take the time out of their week, just one or two couple hours a week, to come and gather with the people of God and worship. And you know why? Because they're idle. Now, I'm not talking about lost people. Lost people aren't going to come anyway. They don't care unless, they're, unless God's the kingdom seeds have been planted and they're looking for God. Hey, they'll come, but I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about people that said, Jesus, I just give you my life. I give you everything. Jesus, I want you to save me. And when I, you save me, God, I, Jesus, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. What happened to you? What happened? Where are you? You have disappeared. You understand? There's a word for this, idol. And that's what's happened. And Christians need to quit being idle. And they quit need to be, they need to stop standing around in the marketplace. And they need to do what? Sow kingdom seeds. That's what needs to happen, folks. We need to get busy working for Jesus again. We used to sing old songs. I remember those old hymns. And by the way, one of my favorite that we, we sang today down at the cross. It's what Jesus has done in my life through the cross. And, and I give Him glory to His name. Well, I can't give Him glory if I'm going to stand around idle. I need to be doing something. Christian, have you done anything this week for Jesus? Have you said anything for Jesus? Have you given a Calvary card? Uh, like, you know, you carry with you and then you have the opportunity to give it. Have you given a Calvary card? Laid it down somewhere. Have you done that? Have you said to someone, God bless you? Have you said, I'll pray for you? Have you done anything for Jesus? Or has it all been about you? This is why the world is getting darker, because Christians are failing to shine the light of Jesus. 
And we need to start being serious about praying, sowing, and growing. I really believe that. And so, we've got to get that passion for the kingdom that Jesus has. That passion for lost people and that passion for Him. And that brings me finally to the last part, the kingdom reward. Now look at verse 8 with me just a moment. I'll just read this one. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Now, give them their wages. So reward them for their work. And the New Testament talks about rewards and crowns, actually. Believers receiving crowns. And, and I want to talk about them. The victor's crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, and the crown of glory. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I'm just going to mention them and tell you where they are in the Bible. The Greek word translated crown, by the way, is stephanos. <clears throat> stephanos. We've heard of a name, haven't we? Like stephanos. How about Stephen? Like, you know, the first martyr. The first Christian martyr. That word Stephanos, it means a badge of royalty. A crown was worn by a king or a member of the royal family. It was his symbol of honor, his badge of royalty. In Bible times, crowns were inherited and both inherited and awarded. And so I want you to look with me briefly at these. First, the victor's crown. The crown has been called the victor's crown because Paul was thinking about the Greek games where the athletes would compete for a wreath or a garland of leaves twisted together and placed on a victor's head as a reward for winning a contest. Upon winning, the victor would climb the stairs. He had run the race or whatever he had done in front of the, of the, the authority figure, the emperor, or king, whatever. And uh, you know, uh, a Roman procurator, whatever. He would climb the stairs to where the, fig, the authority, the king would sit on a throne or on his judgment seat. And on that seat, one with authority placed a wreath or earthly crown upon the victor's head. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. The wreath of leaves would soon turn brittle and fall apart. But not so the heavenly crown. Faithful endurance wins a heavenly reward, uh, which Peter, as Peter said in 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. A reward. Second, we see the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness is the righteousness of Christ, which gives us access into His kingdom. I could never become good enough to earn my way into the kingdom of heaven on my own. I need the righteousness of Jesus for that. When we receive Jesus into our lives, His forgiveness and the Holy Spirit makes us righteous in His sight and fit for His kingdom. Paul said to young Timothy, Pastor Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but to all who have loved His appearing 
We inherit the crown through the righteousness of Christ, which we have through faith in Him. It is His righteousness in us. It's not our righteousness. Isaiah said our righteousness is like a filthy rag. But the righteousness of Christ comes to indwell and make, a per, make every believer righteous. And the, the crown of righteousness is a crown every believer will have. Then we see the crown of rejoicing, Paul told the Thessalonian believers. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? To Paul, the greatest blessing he could receive was to see those in heaven to whom he had preached the gospel. He said, you're now, you are my crown of rejoicing. There's no greater work than kingdom work and no greater blessing than leading a person to receive Jesus and knowing that he is going to enter the kingdom, for this reason that crown's been called the soul winner's crown. Then there's the crown of life. James 1:12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This crown's for all believers, but especially given to those who endure sufferings and persecution for Jesus, even to the point of death. In the Revelation, we hear the Lord Jesus saying to the believers in Smyrna who are about to face extreme persecution, He said, Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And then finally, the crown of glory. Paul reminded the church leaders, Peter reminded the church leaders in 2 Peter 5, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now let's think about these crowns for a moment. From what we read, these crowns are given to those who have been faithful and obedient to Christ Jesus. The crown of rejoicing is the joy of knowing that someone is in heaven because they received our witness. Paul said, you are our crown of rejoicing. But, those are, but are these real crowns? Will everyone get these crowns? I, well, Paul talked about believers before the judgment seat of Christ receiving rewards. He said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. What will happen at the judgment seat of Christ in the future? I don't know exactly. Will some Christians be judged for their works and receive crowns while others receive nothing? Well, to this I can't answer. You see, when we receive Christ and His forgiveness, all sin, past, present, and future, is removed from our record forever. That's a fact we find in Scripture. Jesus did not die for some of our sins. Jesus died for all of our sins. And when He forgives us, His blood covers and removes all of our sins. And we're therefore clean forever. If I stood before Jesus at, at, at His judgment seat, and I was judged for my faithfulness, then I would be judged for my sin of unfaithfulness. And folks, that's not possible. But in, G in John's vision of heaven, in Revelation 4, we do see crowns on the heads of the elders. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders, church officials, Christian leaders clothed in, in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. These Christians are representative of all believers forever, uh, through, all, through all the years. They are forgiven, cleansed, robed in righteousness, but still crowned. And what are the purpose of the crowns? Whenever the living 
creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they exist and were created. What were the purpose of the crowns in heaven? To worship Jesus. No Christian could enter the kingdom without a crown to worship. We could perhaps have different crowns, but they would all mean the same thing, that we belong to Jesus. We are His royal children, and we use those crowns to worship our Lord. It's for His glory. Unlike what some teach today, that there could not be one person with five crowns in heaven and one person with one crown in heaven because the only crowns that matter are on the head of Jesus. You see, God would not allow pride to enter His kingdom. We are all equal in heaven. We don't get to heaven by, because of the number of crowns we have. We get to heaven because of the blood of Jesus and faith in that blood. And that's what Jesus was teaching about kingdom rewards. And I'll show you what happens. Verse 8. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning the last of the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed they would have received more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and heat of the day? Are you kidding? Notice who was doing the complaining and why. The landowner hired the first workers for one denarius, which was a common daily wage. So if a common daily wage is $15 an hour today, let's just say for 12 hours that's $180 a day. Throughout the day, the farmer realized that time was short, the harvest was big. He had to go get other workers. He went and found them idle in the marketplace. He hired some at 9 a.m., some at noon, some at 3, some at 5. At the end of the day... He paid the last first. Surprisingly, he gave them $180 each one, and he gave them all who had worked, whether they worked one hour or 12 hours, the same amount, $180. So those first workers who had, the, who had worked longer complained they should have gotten more reward for their faithful labor. They accused the farmer of not being fair. We need more crowns than this. I can hear them say, that's not fair. We were done dirty. Those other people didn't deserve the same as we got. We deserve a re more reward for our labor. So the landowner answered them, verse 13. He answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? What's the message here, folks? The message is that God is just all the time and He never treats anyone unfairly. Is it unfair to some people like myself who have been saved and serving God for many years than someone who is, who is on their deathbed and they've abandoned God all their life, rejected Him, but they accept Jesus? Is that fair? Am I treated unfairly because of that? Is this fair? Yes, it's fair. It's fair because first we enter the kingdom only by God's grace. None of us, myself included, deserve to enter God's kingdom. I don't care how good a person is in their own eyes. The Lord knows our hearts. One sin's enough to condemn us forever. So we're all deserving of, for, of hell and punishment. That's what we're deserving of. But God's grace has cleansed us and made us fit for His kingdom. He invited us in. Second, if we're true servants of Christ, we 
we will work to help others enter the kingdom. That'll be our passion, our goal. If we really love Jesus, we want others to have the same heaven we have are going to inherit. And even if it comes at the end of their life, we will still rejoice just like the angels do. Friends, there's no jealousy in the kingdom. Anyone with a heart like these servants in the parable? We're complaining that we didn't get more. I don't think they made it into the kingdom. I know they didn't make it with that selfish attitude because they called the landowner unfair. He didn't treat them like he treated the others. Or he didn't treat them better than the others. Folks, have you ever called God unfair? Perhaps you felt God didn't do something for you when he did something for someone else. Perhaps you felt like God ignored you or didn't care about you. Nothing could be farther from the truth. This life is unfair, folks. And people are unfair, and problems make life unfair, but God is never unfair. I want you to think about your blessings. No matter what's going on in your life, think a moment for the blessings God has given to you. How many of those blessings did you deserve? How many does God have to grant you? None. We're all guilty before God needing His grace. He loves us the same. And that's why we work for Him. That's why we go into the field and so because... We're grateful for His grace. We give Him our lives and our love. We know God loves us, folks. Just look at the cross. But listen to what Jesus said about our love for Him. If anyone loves me, He will keep my word. Now my Father will love Him, and we will come to make our home with Him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The greatest commandment in the Old and New Testament is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We show Jesus we love Him. When we do what He said, do. Pray so great. When we do everything we can to bring people into His kingdom, that's when we show Jesus that what He did was important to us. And when we live our lives day after day without ever helping anyone know about our Savior and His kingdom, we show Jesus that we really don't love Him and appreciate what He's done for us. We don't care who gets the credit. We're not jealous of someone's blessings. We're not trying to work for a crown. We're working for a cross if we really love Jesus. And that's your kingdom principle. Read it with me. When we truly love Jesus, the kingdom is all the reward we need. And Jesus closed by telling us something to remember about His kingdom. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. I read this sweet little story. Just let me share it with you before we close here. There are all sorts of questionably clean things that spread love and give meaning to our lives. Does anyone this morning remember a grandma or great-grandma swathed in a big all-enveloping apron? Not some perky little decorative thing worn on Christmas. Not some manly barbecue guy butcher's cloth with questionable sayings stenciled on it. But the kind of apron that went over the shoulders, had two big pockets some rick-rack trim and was soft and faded from a hundred washings. Grandma's apron. Aprons were there to protect Grandma's dress, but they protected far more than that. The big old apron protected Grandma's hands as she pulled hot dishes for her family from the oven. The big old apron helped her bring in wood to keep the stove stoked. 
The big old apron-protected eggs carried into the kitchen and baby chicks carried back to their nest. The big old apron-dried tears from the faces of little ones and wiped at the sweating brows of working men and women. The big old apron brought in peas and beans and tomatoes from the garden and brought up carrots and potatoes, apples and onions from the cellar. A big flapping apron signaled time for dinner to all while a big wrapped-around apron offered a frightened child a quiet shelter from all. The big old apron could get the wax out of dirty ears and wipe the dust off a tabletop. And of course, Grandma and her big old apron knew all about the power of spit. No child could sport a smudged up face as long as Grandma had her big old apron to shine them up. Grandma's big old apron was always 10 minutes after she put it on, certifiably dirty. And just like Jesus' miraculous mud pies, all those Grandma's dirty aprons were spreading love, not germs. You don't have to be a grandma and you don't have to actually wear an apron to find a way to transform the ordinary, everyday things of life into extraordinary expressions of Christ-empowered love. However, you might have to get your hands dirty. You know, the Lord Jesus sent us into this world to help people get ready for His kingdom harvest. And if we do it right, yes, we will get our hands dirty. Because dealing with people and all their baggage is dirty business. And in this parable, the workers got their hands dirty. And what did they do? They complained about it. I remember how my grandmother cared for me and taught me about Jesus. And, I, and she prayed for me and she got her hands dirty and sometimes her heart broken. But she never complained about serving Jesus. She sowed kingdom seeds in my life. And I found Jesus because of her and others who sowed kingdom seeds in my life. She loved Jesus and she showed Him by being faithful all her life. What about you? Pray so grows not a 30-day plan, folks. Pray so grows a kingdom plan to do till Jesus comes. And if you love Jesus, don't stop sowing. Amen? Let's pray. Let's bow. There's a lot of information here, folks, a lot of truth. What did the Holy Spirit say to you today? I hope you would ask yourself, what am I doing for Jesus? Am I complaining about how life is unfair or am I looking beyond myself and my troubles and I'm serving Jesus? Are my hands dirty because I've been working in His field? This is a dirty place. Do I have any dirt on my hands at all because I've been faithfully serving Jesus? Folks, have you sown any kingdom seeds this week? Have you helped anyone know anything about Jesus? Maybe you need a relationship with Him. Why don't you pray and ask Him to be your Savior? Why don't you say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I recognize that I've just been a complaining worker. I really don't have a relationship with You. I'm not even doing anything for You. I ask You to forgive me for my sins. I believe You died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. Come in, Jesus. Come in my life. Wash away all that dirt, that evil. Take control of my mind, my heart, my mouth. I accept you as my Savior, and I ask you to transform me. And Jesus, I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. I will follow you. If you prayed that prayer, it's the greatest prayer of all. If it's real, then you'll have some legs with that prayer, and you'll start working for Jesus. Lord, thank you for giving us opportunities to, to know you 
and to serve you. And Lord, I, for the rest of my life, all of my life, I want to keep serving you, Jesus, because when I serve you, when I faithfully serve you, I'll show you that I love you, and you deserve all my love and all my work. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me when I complain against you. God, help me just be a joyful servant, grateful for what you've done for me and for the kingdom that waits for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. If I can pray for you, I'll be down here at the front while we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow.